Good afternoon and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources, but much has changed in recent months. What are these changes and do they bode good? or ill for people of faith. The Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz is the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., and we discuss these issues on today's Free to be Faithful. Dr. Seltz, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Boy, you have certainly had uh, your hands full since the center reopened. <laughs> All sorts well, of things. Yeah, it, it has been. It, you know what's really been wonderful about it, though? It's been reclaiming some basic liberties not just for our church, but for people of faith. Uh, First Amendment stuff is, is important for all people in our country, and this has been an incredible time. I mean, it's been some wonderful, wonderful things. Um, the Supreme Court seems to be siding more and more with First Amendment issues when it comes to our religious liberty, and that is a good thing, not just for our church, but for all people. I agree with that. You know, the First Amendment is really considered to be the cornerstone of uh, the American experiment. Five specific freedoms are guaranteed within the First Amendment. We have freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and freedom to petition for redress of grievances. Wow. First time in history that was ever explicitly stated. Well, and it's an idea. You know, it's an idea that, that you as an individual have have justice before the law, and that you as an individual will solve your problems better than the government can solve them for you. I think that's the one thing we were beginning to see that was really destructive in our culture, is that people were weaponizing politics, and they were taking some of these issues that, that you know, there's always been disagreements on, you know, relationship issues, um, uh, expression issues, all these kinds of things. Well, certain people were starting to use the federal government and the power of the government to weaponize politics against one particular view or another. And that's when we finally started to say, wait a minute. Now, that, you know, uh, this idea of kind of uh, live and let live, even when we disagree, we, we struggle with that too. But now we're saying, if you disagree with me, you're somehow a criminal. And as Christians, we said, this is not good for anybody. Also, there's been the phenomenon of the so-called hate speech, which, dis- right. which essentially says certain types of speech are not to be tolerated. See, what's... Yeah, well, exactly. What's troubling about hate speech laws is, first of all, that you're not sure exactly what the definition is. But on top of that, we're starting to judge people by their attitudes, not by their actions. And all I can tell you is when the government starts judging you by your attitudes, that's usually uh, a recipe for tyranny. So, again, you know, eventually people who have the wrong attitudes are going to do the wrong thing, and then they should be judged accordingly by our laws. But when you start kind of anticipating that, and saying, we, we know that you're this kind of person because of this attitude or that. It's dangerous when politicians get in the mix of that kind of stuff. Well, Greg, let's start with, uh, first of all, uh, explaining what it is that the center does. It's been recently reestablished in Washington, D.C., and, of course, you're, right. you're heading it. And tell us a little bit about what it is that the center is doing, and then we can go from that point. Well, there's three things. I mean, the first one is encourage. We're on the hill to encourage those who are doing good work, and that includes congressmen and senators and, and staffers and all kinds of folks, people of faith, and we're there to encourage and undergird that, and, and we're there to be a support system for those who are doing that. Uh, we're also there to advocate. You know, we've got, we, we speak about fundamental issues, life, liberty, um, and marriage, but also, you know, education, because it's such an important part of our, our work. 
But life and liberty are fundamental. In fact, even marriage and education are liberty issues to us. But we're, we're there for that because we do believe those are things that, cr- that cut across every person, uh, every church, every um, person in our culture. So we're there to defend those things and to be an advocate for those things. But the key thing that we're there for, too, is to educate. Educate our own church as to what their role is in this particular culture. Martin Luther said something very, very specific about this. You know, it's called two-kingdom theology, where God is at work, both in the left and right-hand kingdom. Well, Christians should be supporting God's work in both kingdoms. And what that means is that we need to understand how he works in, in public issues and how he works ultimately through the church. And then actually, you know, put our, um, our money where our mouth is, if you will. But, so the center then is going to be educating our own church people through our educational programs in the universities, uh, ultimately in the churches and in the districts and all those kinds of things. And even bringing some young kids to the Hill for internships so we can actually build a mindset uh, as well of resources on, on the Hill. Well, I've heard a lot of... Uh people and some Lutherans I have to say have said that the church that the church has no business whatsoever involving itself in the left hand kingdom in, in the political scene how do we answer right. that and I think, well I mean I think to some degree pastors got to be very careful official representatives of the church have to be very careful because when you say thus saith the Lord and you're talking about a policy uh, I, it's pretty tough to defend that that opinion usually but that's not what we're doing the church is actually God's people at work in society, and God is at work in society. And so we're just telling the church, you need to learn how to support God's work in the left-hand kingdom. And that means you need to put your vocations to work uh, for the sake of, of the church. So one of our monikers is this, put your temporal liberties to work faithfully for the eternal liberties of Christ and be able to differentiate those. Let me give you an example. St. Paul even claimed his own citizenship in Acts chapter 16, uh, you know, when they beat him up for the sake of the gospel, he said, you can't do this to me. I'm a Roman citizen. He didn't argue biblical themes there. He just said, I'm a citizen. You don't have the right to do that. Well, that, that was Paul putting his temporal liberties to work for the sake of the eternal liberties of Christ. Well, do you know how to do that? Can you differentiate between the two? Uh, are you doing the things that God is already doing in the culture that are going to keep things civil and humane and just so that we can proclaim the gospel? And so for churches to abdicate that role, it would be terrible because God has given us an ability to actually be a part of this culture in a positive way. And as you just pointed out, in the Bible even refers to St. Paul, who actually had uh, took that role, actually took the leadership. Well, and the thing is, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, Jesus says this, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God. Back in those days, Caesar gave very limited rights to his subjects. The difference in our culture is that we've been declared Caesar by the Constitution, and so we have to exercise our Caesarship, if you will, as citizens, uh, according to the constitutional way that we've defined ourselves. And, and so God has actually made that possible for us. It's a beautiful thing to have more temporal liberty. Uh, but we don't confuse temporal liberty with the eternal liberties of Jesus. But we want to put the one to work for the other. Well, what are some of the issues that have been coming up? And as we pointed out in the beginning, uh, there's been a lot of, of attacks that have been going against uh, against Christians and people of faith. But things seem yeah. to have changed. A lot of things are coming to a head now. Could you enumerate some of them? Well, you know, first of all, you need to understand something. In fact, there's a Supreme Court justice right now that's up, and, and people say, oh, he's going to be for religious liberty, and it's going to make us intolerant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very often, they're mischaracterizing even what his role will be 
uh, if he becomes a Supreme Court justice. If he defends religious liberty, he's not taking our side. What he's doing is saying you all have a role in the public square, and you got to go there, and, and you got to persuade people, and, and, and we're not going to back either one of you. Uh, that's what's really interesting. We're fighting the forces who are saying one side is legitimate and the other side and the other viewpoints are not. And so even if we win some of these cases, like the case of uh, Jack Phillips and, and the, the cake-baking case down in, in uh, Colorado, uh, really all his role was is he was, he was defended for having this particular point of view. He was, the, the Supreme Court didn't side with him. It just said he has the right to have that point of view. And so, again, people don't understand. We're not asking the government to take our side in these issues. We're saying let us be ourselves and let us then demonstrate why being ourselves is a positive thing for the culture in which we live. So that's the kind of issue. Those are the issues that are out there right now where we're starting to see people, like there's another case out in uh, the West Coast where a florist has been told she can't be the kind of florist she's been for, for years and years and years and years because she doesn't agree with um, she agrees with traditional marriage, not gay marriage. And they're going to put her out of business. They're going to actually, there, there's lawsuits and there's, there's money, uh, you know, she's been sued and all these different kind of things. And, and the, again, all that she is saying is, I just believe in traditional marriage as a fundamental thing of my faith and also for our society. Well, she should have the right to make that argument in the public square. Well, our concerns in the LCMS, and as you you pointed out at the very beginning, uh, we're concerned with life. We're concerned with uh, freedom of religion. We are freedom. We are concerned with uh, marriage, and these right. are these are three issues that are really coming into the forefront. And uh, as, as we as we know, these three points have really been under attack. And now maybe there's been some changing. Well, just think of it this way too. And these are fundamental issues. We're not talking about. Uh, there are lots, lots of things where uh, Lutheran folks can disagree on policy and still be faithful Christians together and worship on Sunday. But these are fundamental things. The sanctity of life is for everybody. And, and even liberty is for everybody. And the whole issue of marriage is a liberty issue for us, too. Um, look what was happening out in California with the NIFLA case, where that was a pro-life clinic. And most pro-life clinics, actually, my wife and I worked for one in New, in New York. We were severely underfunded. We never had, because it was just people's gifts that were keeping us afloat. We were competing against the, the Planned Parenthood places and all these different things that had even government funding. And NIFLA was in this case where uh, abortion clinics were going to mandatorily uh, force pro-life clinics in California to advertise for abortion, mm. even though it's fundamentally against who they are. Well, people of goodwill and justice, they should say that's just not right. Well, that's what was happening, and by law, they were going to force pro-life clinics to tell their patients about abortion. And, and so, when, you know, but, and of course, the, the reverse is not true. The abortion clinics were not, going to, were not going to advertise from the pro-life clinics, et cetera. So again, the Supreme Court actually cast that down and said, you don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to compel speech. But that's where we're at. We're at that point where certain sides are compelling speech. And, and we don't, we don't want them to... to tell the, uh, these, uh, these uh, pro-life uh, pregnancy crisis centers about abortion, but by the same token, we don't want to force yeah. a pregnancy set, an abortion center to advertise against their right. will for uh, pro-life. We'd like to, yeah, we'd like to convert them, but we, we don't want to... We'd like to show the, the gals that come in, even the society, that, that this viewpoint is, a, is, a, is a, a civil viewpoint, it's a humane viewpoint, it's a better viewpoint for all. 
And, and even the adoption agencies are getting involved in these things, too, where they're compelling adoption agencies to advocate certain things against their, their will. What this is doing is destroying our ability to serve people. And I think that's what's really at the, the issue here. They're trying to silence our voice, not just to... Uh, as well as compel speech. Now, I've been following the uh, the adoption situation pretty closely, and in a number right. of jurisdictions, what's been happening is that uh, groups, like, for example, LBGTQ uh, groups would say, well, Catholic services should not be able to contract with the state because they disagree with uh, placing children with gay couples or with unmarried right. singles, you know, what would have things like that. And they have succeeded in a number of, uh, of institutions. The thing is that these Christian groups have not tried to force have not tried to force the other adoption agencies to adopt their policies. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, that they were simply trying to uh, follow their own faith. And you know, such things, for example, uh, one agency said, uh, "Well, you have to be married for a certain period of time. You can't be divorced, right. or you can't be cohabiting uh, 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 heterosexual couples, things along that right. line." And many, many children are being thrown out of that system and put on the tender wow. mercies of the state. See, and that's what's so nefarious about it. I mean. We've got all kinds of psychological data that shows that it's much better for a child to be uh, with a man and a woman and in a stable relationship. And, and so even, like I said, the cohabiting rules might be things that are extensions of our faith. We're saying you can't be cohabiting. You need to be married. You need to be committed, not just to your marriage, but to the child as well. And so we should have that ability to say, if you come to our center, this is what you're going to get. There's all kinds of other centers that will, will say, well, we no, we, we actually think totally differently than that. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it, it's providing a service based on our faith that people can choose. And that's what's so amazing is that this idea of choice, which, are, which people say they're all for, suddenly is now, no, there's only should be one choice. And you're going, wow, when did we become so, folk, or, yeah. uh, so focusing away from something uh, so positive? A good friend of mine is an adoptee. And uh, mm-hmm. her her mother, her birth mother, specifically gave her to a Lutheran adoption agency because she wanted the child to be raised with Lutherans. And uh, I know this woman; she's a terrific lady. She's now a mother of her own, you know, of her own, of some couple of beautiful children. She's very active in her community. This would not have been possible had that Lutheran agency not been able to do what it did. And be defined as a Lutheran agency and all that that means. Uh, again, we're talking about issues that the church has been proclaiming for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, these are not Johnny-come-lately viewpoints. And, and there's a sense where we can defend them uh, in a variety of ways, psychologically, uh, sociologically, physiologically, and also theologically. And we can demonstrate that they're a benefit to even people who disagree with us. Well, Again, to suddenly say, well, since we disagree with that, you have no right to have that opinion, and then to use the force of the government to shut your voice down or to compel you to speak against that voice, it, it just, it, that should ch- send uh, chills down people's spines. Yeah, it does mine. Uh, you know, Kip, yeah, well, Kip, you know, I, I try to keep it, sometimes you've got to just say, well, think of it this way. When I was in New York, they used to have the, some of the greatest delis, they were kosher delis all over the place. And, and so, you know, if you're a person looking for a kosher deli, you can find one. But if you're a person who didn't want to coach and like, there was one nearby, too. And I just didn't understand why suddenly everyone's got to say uh, all deli's all got to be this way or that way. It's just really amazing to me that, that people of goodwill have, have not really thought through the ramifications 
uh, of what's going on in our culture today. There's a, a growing intolerance, uh, and it, it's it. One of the intriguing things to me is that it seems to me that the intolerance side, the ones who are accusing the others of intolerance. For example, uh, there, right. there was a uh, something that happened just this past weekend, uh, where the Episcopalians are having their triennial convention, and they have uh, decided that uh, they will condone gay marriage in in parishes and dioceses, where even the bishop opposes. The thing is, is that you know we don't in our church recognize gay marriage, but we're not trying to force the Episcopalians to to adopt right. our our methods. Well and on top of that, what what is becoming uh very disturbing too, there's a there's a growing sense that uh bullying you into a particular what perspective. Even states are threatening uh businesses and state legislatures if you don't adopt certain viewpoints. Um you know that that's the stuff that, that again the force of the state and the force of uh, kind of the, uh, the the crowd to suddenly show up on your uh, doorstep and, and say, because you don't believe this, 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 or this, or you're believing this policy, we're going to berate you into this perspective. Again, that's just not the way we do. And and uh, you know, so we're, we're First Amendment stuff is just saying, let us have at it in the public square, and and again, then let's abide by the laws that we finally uh, have in, in our midst. Well, what are the issues that we're running into now? What are we hoping to accomplish? What are you through the uh, the uh, the uh, Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty? What are you trying to accomplish now? You mentioned education. Are you finding that uh, opinion makers and uh, lawmakers are trying to find out what it is that the faith community wants, or are they uh, misled as to what it is that we want? Well, part of the educational issue for me has been the funding issue. Um, you know, there's a sense where Everyone says education's a right, which, again, these ideas of rights and liberties and all this kind of stuff, we have to clearly define what we mean by these terms. But the reality is, is there's one way of educating people that's funded, and there's another way that's completely, um, you know, uh, you have to pay for it on your own. And there's a sense where, you know, you can see what's going on in, in uh, Wisconsin or the parental choice. I have no problem with parents having responsibility for their children and putting their education dollars wherever they want to. So if they want to put it in a public school, that's beautiful. But if they want to put it in a parochial school because they do think they get better value, both educationally and in terms of the virtue of their their, uh, their children, why shouldn't they be able to put that uh, those resources to work? Well, you know, the government now is a little bit more favorable to uh, charter schools and parental choice. And again, you know, people are screaming bloody murder as if this is somehow fundamentally against what it means to be an American. I've heard those arguments. Yeah, why should the parochial schools and the private schools, why should they be uh, treated as secondary when it comes to education? So, again, that's, a, that's an issue that is more parochial to us as a people. It's a liberty issue, I think. Uh, we may not have people who agree with us, even in our church on that. But we have a, we have a church that is built on education. And, and, by the way, even universal education was a reformation ideal. It's not something that, that's been out there very long. Um, we just feel like we could be a useful tool uh, for our own society if we were back in the cities uh, of our culture. So, again, we're, we're advocating for that, and we're, we're just undergirding uh, people on that. But life and liberty, now those are things we are, are much more fundamentally uh, on the hill to defend. Well, we, we've got the Religious Liberty, uh, the Religious Restoration Act, <clears throat> excuse me, the Religious Liberty Restoration Act is now taking effect. And uh, I've been reading where it's, uh, the courts have ruled, for example, just recently that uh, the HHS mandate on Obamacare 
could not be enforced against uh, Catholic universities specifically because of that. Well, and, and thank goodness what the, the little sisters of the poor, you know, <laughs> some of the groups that have been harassed by that law, it, it's just been amazing. And again, the federal government starts to dictate uh, things for all of us. And, and that's what people need to understand. You know, this dictate of universal health care started to actually uh, deal with culture war issues and, and, and to take one side versus the other and then mandate it against those who disagree. I just think it's it's lunacy to say that the federal government can, can do that in a healthy way for the sake of us all. And religious liberty cases are pushing back and saying, well, you know, even if we want to have to deal with some kind of governmental health care, we should be able to say we're still pro-life and abortion is not going to be part of our health care package. Um, you know, I, I try to tell people, you know, it used to be that we, we went to the federal government last. I mean, they were the last recourse. Uh, in fact, we generally, in this culture, remember when we used to say, uh, don't make a federal case out of it. Yeah, right. Uh, that was the way, that's the way people thought 25 years ago. Now everything's a federal case. When, when Jimmy Carter, I used, to, I used this example, when Jimmy Carter suddenly out of the blue decided 55 miles an hour was the right speed for all U.S. highways everywhere. I don't know if you've ever lived in West Texas. If you drive 55 <laughs> miles an hour on a, on a freeway, you feel like you're literally going backwards. And, and that's the same kind of thing. When the federal government gets involved and mandates things for all 330 million Americans, uh, it's going to be things that are going to be detrimental to all kinds of people. It's much better for us to figure some of those particulars out for ourselves. And that's what we're advocating these religious liberty issues. And one of the big uh, one of the big problems, uh, especially as you pointed out, with the federal government and I think with a lot of the secular forces, is that they somehow believe that there's this one size fits all. Right. And, and that's and and then, then and like I said, when, and when they find out it is not fitting, they literally force you a square peg into a round hole. And that's kind of what we're struggling with on these things. You know, they're, like I said, they're people of goodwill. We may disagree with each other on these fundamental issues, but we're willing to work it out in such a way that we can live together in peace and in harmony. And the government's coming in and saying, no, we'll, we'll tell you exactly how you're going to do that. And usually that, that means everything but peace and harmony. It seems to. It seems to. We're seeing a, yes. a lot of a lot of problems within, you know, clashes between the secular and the faith communities where they shouldn't be fighting. They should be joining. Uh, ultimately, I think our goals are the same. You know, like when, for instance, when we talk about the, the sexual liberation movement back in the 60s, there's all kinds of things said about sexuality, that it was a recreational thing and it was disconnected from marriage at all. In fact, you know, I get a little suspect about these folks that are now de- de- wanting to be married and defending marriage. Because back in the 70s, when I left the university, marriage was this archaic institution that nobody should want to be a part of. Well, anyway, my point is, is when we get involved in these discussions in the community, um, we're going to have to demonstrate why uh, a healthy marriage, monogamous marriage, where you're committed for life, where sexuality is not something to be played with, like it's, it's, it's a recreational thing, and, and why family is so important. We should be able to try to persuade people in that. We should try to demonstrate that in, the, in, in our own lives so that others can see it. And then we should uh, be trying to show that this is a, a better thing and invite people to kind of want to come along with us on this. That's the way you should engage these public issues where you have great disagreements. Well, there's another side that's saying, no, let's, let's use the federal government to enforce one view over the other. Uh, and so what we're saying is, no, we're pushing back on that so that the church can have a public voice in the community for the sake of the community. So it's a good thing that we're doing, but the church still needs to be the church. 
We have to spread the gospel. We have to spread the news. Yeah. One of the things we did here in St. Louis uh, was in the, in the wake of those horrible riots in Ferguson, there was the establishment of the Hope Center, which, which we were heavily involved with, the Lutheran Church was. So, yeah. Well, we're, and again, and to have a particular viewpoint and, and to try to serve it into people's lives, that's the way to deal with these cultural issues. And I would say to those who disagree with our viewpoint, well, do the same towards us. If you feel like we're wrong, then try to serve it into our lives. The problem is, is like I said, the weaponizing of politics to say, we're not going to do that. You guys are going to adopt this way of doing things or else. And, and so, again, the liberty is saying, no, we're, we're fighting that viewpoint back. Uh, but then, like I said, the church still has to be in the community for the sake of the community to demonstrate why this viewpoint is better for us all. And I think the the, the secular side especially is is uh, using the, the concept of the weaponization concept that, well, your side is illegitimate. You do not have a legitimate right. point of view. Therefore, we don't, need, we don't need to listen to you. In fact, we need to suppress you. you and know, the thing is, is when you talk about legitimacy, I always tell people, if you're a church member, and you have a particular moral view that, that is rooted in the Scripture, you can't say, thus saith the Lord, to convince someone who doesn't believe in God or even believe in the Scripture. But there's physiological, there's psychological, there's sociological evidence that demonstrates a lot of our viewpoints. So, again, that's, well, that's what we mean by legitimate. That's a legitimate voice. If I can show you or physiologically, sociologically, psychologically, and theologically, while this is a good viewpoint, why is that not legitimate? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're seeing that on campuses too, and that's 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 a well, that's a real problem. You know, it's interesting. The pro-life community uh, has been making great strides here. I'm very proud to be associated with that group. Um, they started to adopt just this: we're here to persuade. We take the guff. We're here to persuade. And the pro-life movement has has been making great strides with the younger generation. Because the, there's a, the younger generation is much more pro-life, and the, the, the view that was pro-choice, they're shocked by this. But when you start to try to persuade and to demonstrate why this, the sanctity of life is good for all people, not just for uh, those of faith, you start to see that our argument is, is a broader argument. It's an argument for the sake of society, not just for the sake of our church. Well, the, the society is part of the left-hand kingdom, and the left and right are... Right. They're they're linked. I, I heard one of the pastors the other day say that he didn't he didn't like the expression the two kingdoms. He said there's only one kingdom, but there are two realms. Okay, two realms. But my point is is that you have to differentiate yeah. how God engages the realms. That's the key, or whatever your title is. And God engages the left hand kingdom through law, mm-hmm. and he engages uh, the, the the world through the gospel in the right hand kingdom or the right hand realm. And the point is, you need to be able to differentiate that. So, like we always say, you don't tell the policeman to turn the other cheek. But you would tell a Christian to turn the other cheek as they're trying to share the gospel. So, uh, again, just understanding how God is at work, that's the key uh, to being able to be useful. But here's the key uh, with with all of this. You know, if all hell breaks loose from the left-hand kingdom, because it's now there's no law, there's, there's no civility, there's no... It's tough to share the gospel when people are running for their lives. And so, again, as Christians, we have a role through our vocations and understanding how God wants those vocations to serve. We have a role in making the place a civil place and a humane place. We know that's not ultimately what God's work is, but, man, it can get worse. And and folks should, should take our freedom seriously because 
you don't want anarchy and you don't want chaos. A lot of our urban areas have gone through chaotic moments because they've, dis- they've disavowed family. They've disavowed things that were fundamental to being human, to being uh, persons of a community. Well, we've seen the havoc and the violence that's been, you know, um, uh, that's ensued by that. And so, again, as Christians, we've got a role in, in even keeping the places that we live civil and humane and just so that we can proclaim the gospel even there. Well, Greg, I want to thank you. Uh, we're at the end of the program now. And you've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, which is a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs a third Wednesday of every month. Today's guest was the Reverend Dr. Gregory Seltz of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to Be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.